Dads and ladies, welcome to the Junior Classics. Hi there, I'm Sir Bradley Hassey, a teller of borrowed tales. Join me as I share stories of courage, adventure, and wonder. But don't take my word for it. You can find out for yourself on today's Junior Classic. Good day, Junior Scholars. I am Sir Bradley Hassey, guardian of the written word and your guide through the Junior Classics. Our mission is to preserve the wisdom in the classics before it is lost forever, and to inspire children to a love of good reading based on stories that are good, beautiful, and true. So gather your family and let's embark on the latest Junior Classic, authored by Hans Christian Andersen called The Flying Trunk. I'm willing to bet most of you have never heard this story before. I know I had not before reading it for the podcast. Now, it's reasonable to believe the flying trunk was inspired by the flying carpet in Arabian Nights, which Anderson was known to read and love as a child. We've listened to quite a few stories by Anderson by now, and we have one more next week. Have you started to notice a pattern in the stories, especially the endings? They haven't provided the happy forever after that is often expected from a fairy tale. Well, let's see how this one goes. But first, lost and found words. I could have included about a dozen words today, but that would be boring. You came here for the stories, not the vocabulary. So, I'll share a few, and if there is a word you hear in the story that you don't understand, ask your parents or a teacher. Our first word is a shilling. A shilling is a unit of currency that was used in some European nations and colonies. Its value was one twentieth of a pound. So, to make things easy in your head, I think it's fair to think of a shilling as a nickel. Our next word is masquerade. A masquerade is a ball, a party, or a dancing event where everyone wears costumes. Our next one is actually a phrase. It is called Ducks and Drakes. I thought this lost and found phrase was especially interesting. I thought it was some sort of game. When I looked it up, this refers to skipping stones on the water. It also has another meaning that we'll circle back to after the story. And our last word is affectation. Affectation means to behave in a way not natural to oneself in order to impress others. So I think another way of saying it is, you're pretending to be someone you are not in order to get people to like you. Now, on to the show. Ladies, I want you to imagine you are a noble princess from a powerful family. Your father and mother love you dearly and are very wise. Thus, they are very careful about helping you choose whom you shall marry. One night, a charming and handsome boy flies into your bedroom. He tells you he is an angel, and you believe him. After all, he was able to fly up to your bedroom at the top of a castle tower. As time passes, this boy delights your parents, and they are eager to see you marry him. You are deeply in love. The only problem is, almost everything this boy said to you and your family was a lie. How would you feel about that boy now? Boys who are listening, 
What do you think about a man that lies to get what he wants? This is exactly what happens on today's Junior Classic. Let's meet this boy and princess and learn how they meet and what fate has in store for them. The Flying Trunk by Hans Christian Andersen There was once a merchant who was so rich that he could pave the whole street with gold and almost have enough left for a little lane. But he did not do that. He knew how to employ his money differently. When he spent a shilling, he got back a crown. Such a clever merchant was he, and this he continued till he died. His son now got all this money, and he lived merrily, going to the masquerade every evening, making kites out of dollar notes, and playing at ducks and drakes on the seacoast with gold pieces instead of pebbles. In this way, the money might soon be spent, and indeed it was so. At last he had no more than four shillings left, and no clothes to wear but a pair of slippers and an old dressing gown. Now his friends did not trouble themselves any more about him, as they could not walk with him in the street. But one of them, who was good-natured, sent him an old trunk, with the remark, Pack up. Yes, that was all very well, but he had nothing to pack. Therefore, he seated himself in the trunk. That was a wonderful trunk. So soon as anyone pressed the lock, the trunk could fly. He pressed it and whirr. Away flew the trunk, with him through the chimney and over the clouds farther and farther away. But as often as the bottom of the trunk cracked a little, he was in great fear, lest it might go to pieces, and then he would have flung a fine somersault. In that way, he came to the land of the Turks. He hid the trunk in a wood under some dry leaves, and then went into the town. He could do that very well, for among the Turks all the people went about dressed like himself, in dressing gown and slippers. Then he met a nurse with a little child. Here, you Turkish nurse, he began. What kind of a great castle is that close by the town, in which the windows are so high up? There dwells the sultan's daughter, replied she. It is prophesied that she will be very unhappy respecting a lover, and therefore nobody may go near her, unless the sultan and sultana are there too. Thank you, said the merchant's son, and he went out into the forest seated himself in his trunk, flew on the roof, and crept through the window into the princess's room. She was lying asleep on the sofa, and she was so beautiful that the merchant's son was compelled to kiss her. Then she awoke and was startled very much. But he said he was a Turkish angel who had come down to her through the air, and that pleased her. They sat down side by side, and he told her stories about her eyes and he told her they were the most glorious dark lakes, and that thoughts were swimming about them like mermaids. And he told her about her forehead, that it was a snowy mountain with the most splendid halls and pictures. And he told her about the stork who brings the lovely little children. Yes, those were fine histories. Then he asked the princess if she would marry him, and she said yes, directly. But you must come here on Saturday, said she. Then the sultan and sultana will be here to tea. They will be very proud that I am to marry a Turkish angel. But take care that you know a very pretty story. 
for both my parents are very fond indeed of stories. My mother likes them high-flown and moral, but my father likes them merry so that one can laugh. Yes, I shall bring no marriage gift but a story, said he, and so they parted. But the princess gave him a saber, the sheath embroidered with gold pieces, and that was very useful to him. Now he flew away, bought a new dressing gown, and sat in the forest and made up a story. It was to be ready by Saturday, and that was not an easy thing. By the time he had finished it, Saturday had come. The sultan and his wife and all the court were at the princess's to tea. He was received very graciously. Will you relate us a story, said the sultana, one that is deep and edifying? Yes, but one we can laugh at said the sultan. Certainly, he replied, and so began. And now, listen well. There was once a bundle of matches, and these matches were particularly proud of their high descent. Their genealogical tree, that is to say, the great fir tree of which each of them was a little splinter, had been a great old tree out in the forest. The matches now lay between a tinderbox and an old iron pot, and they were telling about the days of their youth. Yes, when we were upon the green boughs, they said, then we really were upon the green boughs. Every morning and evening there was diamond tea for us, I mean dew. We had sunshine all day long whenever the sun shone, and all the little birds had to tell stories. We could see very well that we were rich for the other trees were only dressed out in summer, while our family had the means to wear green dresses in the winter as well. But then the woodcutter came, like a great revolution, and our family was broken up. The head of the family got an appointment as a main mast in a first-rate ship, which could sail round the world if necessary. The other branches went to other places, and now we have the office of kindling a light for the vulgar herd. That's how we grand people came to be in the kitchen. My fate was of a different kind, said the iron pot, which stood next to the matches. From the beginning, ever since I came into the world, there has been a great deal of scouring and cooking done in me. I look after the practical part and am the first here in this house. My only pleasure is to sit in my place after dinner, very clean and neat, and to carry on a sensible conversation with my comrades. But except the water pot, which is sometimes taken down into the courtyard, we always live within our four walls. Our only newsmonger is the market basket, but he speaks very uneasily about the government and the people. Yes, the other day there was an old pot that fell down, from fright, and burst, He's liberal, I can tell you. Now you're talking too much, the tinderbox interrupted, and the steel struck against the flint so that sparks flew out. Shall we not have a merry evening? Yes, let us talk about who is the grandest, said the matches. No, I don't like to talk about myself, retorted the pot. Let us get up an evening entertainment. I will begin. I will tell a story from real life something that everyone has experienced, so that we can easily imagine the situation and take pleasure in it. On the Baltic, by the Danish shore. That's a pretty beginning, cried all the plates. That will be a story we shall like. 
Yes, it happened to me in my youth, when I lived in a family where the furniture was polished, the floors scoured, and new curtains were put up every fortnight. What an interesting way you have telling a story, said the carpet broom. One can tell directly that a man is speaking who has been in woman's society. There's something pure runs through it. And the pot went on telling the story, and the end was as good as the beginning. All the plates rattled with joy, and the carpet broom brought some green parsley out of the dust hole and put it like a wreath on the pot, for he knew that it would vex the others. If I crown him today, it thought, he will crown me tomorrow. Now I'll dance, said the fire tongs, and they danced. Preserve us, how that implement could lift up one leg. The old chair cushion burst to see it. Shall I be crowned too? thought the tongs, and indeed a wreath was awarded. They're only common people after all, thought the matches. Now the tea urn was to sing, but she said she had taken cold and could not sing unless she felt boiling within. But that was only affectation. She did not want to sing except when she was in the parlor with the grand people. In the window sat an old quill pen with which the maid generally wrote. There was nothing remarkable about this pen, except that it had been dipped too deep into the ink, but she was proud of that. If the tea urn won't sing, she said, she may leave it alone. Outside hangs a nightingale in a cage, and he can sing. He hasn't had any education, but this evening we'll say nothing about that. I think it very wrong, said the tea kettle. He was the kitchen singer and half-brother to the tea urn. That that rich and foreign bird should be listened to. Is that patriotic? Let the market basket decide. I am vexed, said the market basket. No one can imagine how much I am secretly vexed. Is that a proper way of spending the evening? Would it not be more sensible to put the house in order? Let each one go to his own place, and I will arrange the whole game. That would be quite another thing. Yes, let us make a disturbance, cried they all. Then the door opened, and the maid came in, and they all stood still. Not one stirred. But there was not one pot among them who did not know what he could do and how grand he was. Yes, if I had liked, each one thought, it might have been a very merry evening. The servant girl took the matches and lighted the fire with them. Mercy, how they sputtered and burst out into flame. Now everyone can see, thought they, that we are the first. How we shine! What a light! And they burned out. That was a capital story, said the sultana. I feel myself quite carried away to the kitchen, to the matches. Yes, now thou shalt marry our daughter. Yes, certainly, said the sultan. Thou shalt marry our daughter on Monday. And they called him thou, because he was to belong to the family. The wedding was decided on, and on the evening before it, the whole city was illuminated. Biscuits and cakes were thrown among the people. The street boys stood on their toes, called out hurrah, and whistled on their fingers. It was uncommonly splendid. Yes, I shall have to give something as a treat, thought the merchant's son. 
So he bought rockets and crackers and every imaginable sort of firework, put them all into his trunk, and flew up into the air. Crack! How they went! And how they went off! All the Turks hopped up with such a start that their slippers flew about their ears, such a meteor they had never yet seen. Now they could understand that it must be a Turkish angel who is going to marry the princess. What stories people tell! Everyone whom he asked about it had seen it in a separate way, but one and all thought it fine. I saw the Turkish angel himself, said one. He had eyes like glowing stars and a beard like foaming water. He flew up in a fiery mantle, said another. The most lovely little cherub peeped forth from among the folds. Yes, they were wonderful things that he heard, and on the following day he was to be married. Now he went back to the forest to rest himself in his trunk. But what had become of that? A spark from the fireworks had set fire to it, and the trunk was burned to ashes. He could not fly any more and could not get to his bride. She stood all day on the roof waiting, and most likely she is waiting still. But he wanders through the world telling fairy tales, but they are not so merry as that one he told about the matches. The End When I finished reading this story the first time, I thought this was just a fun little tale with a sad ending. I didn't think there was much of a lesson here. And then I thought to myself, why was the ending sad? Because the merchant's son lied to the princess. I would think the merchant's son would be able to get along in the world just fine with a flying trunk. But he used that superpower, if that's what you want to call it, to take advantage of the princess and her family. He lied about being a Turkish angel to get the princess to fall in love with him, and then charmed and tricked the family into letting him marry the princess. When the merchant's son went out to celebrate, his trunk was destroyed, along with his future. Unfortunately, the innocent princess was left with a broken heart. Boys, do not grow up to be the merchant's son. We know two things about him, and they are both negative. He irresponsibly wasted his inheritance, and he was a liar. Now, remember I said that there was something else about the ducks and drakes? It had a different meaning. I also found out it means to waste one's wealth. Interesting, huh? Anyway, his past sins found him and destroyed the gift of the flying trunk. And girls, do not seek the affection of a liar. It will lead to your ruin or perhaps a broken heart. Until next time, my lords and ladies, I am Sir Bradley Hassey. Be brave. Be loyal and speak the truth. Now for you parents out there, I want you to understand why we are doing this, what we are trying to achieve, and how you can help us. This is a rescue operation to preserve the classics and the wisdom within before it is lost forever. Our goal is to inspire children with a love of good reading by safeguarding and breathing new life into the greatest stories in history and empower you, the parents, with a resource you can trust to enrich your child's mind and spirit. We don't want these stories and the wisdom within to be forgotten so our children don't have to learn these lessons on their own. The most important thing you can do for us is to spread the message and tell others about these stories and what we are doing. 
If you want to donate, we would love that as well. My promise is that 100% of donations will go to building the impact and quality of the Junior Classics. If you have feedback and thoughts on how we can do things better, please send an email to thejuniorclassics at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.